And welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. Hey, we're thrilled you take the time today to listen in. Uh, I appreciate all the comments we get back. I was talking to a good friend yesterday, and he was saying that he, uh, while he's driving from job to job, he's uh, tuning into the podcast and enjoys it. And uh, so those are all fun times we get to spend with you guys as we're connecting the dots between the Lordship of Jesus and a thousand different things going on in uh, day-to-day living. Uh, but Jesus is the one who holds it all together. And so uh, thank you again for uh, for tuning in and thank you for your, your input. We want to make this uh, hit the spot and be something that really is a blessing to you on, uh, each and every week. So we had, we're, we're bringing you up to speed. We just, we just celebrated Father's Day here at Living Stones and we got back two thirds of our team from Honduras. Yeah, we still got one crew out there, <laughs> our young adults crew. That's right. We, 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 we had ships passing in the night. We, we got, when I say we had two thirds of our team get back, you know, it's amazing just the, the disarray that's happening, I think, in every sector of American life right now, including the airlines. Uh, a lot of uh, yeah, we got people cancellations. stuck in New York. People stuck in Miami. Yeah, we and again, that just added more chaos to everything. Right. But but the bigger picture was, you know, Christ was really glorified in Honduras. We sent a record number of our Living Stones family, yeah. which is incredible. And as you pointed out, we've got a young adult team right now that's in in a very rural, hard to reach area, doing some great work. With, yeah, I heard they're out of cell phone contact, so you send. <laughs> Texas, on a boat, they got to time the tide, the tide, the rising and fall of the tide to make sure they can get where they need to go. If they miss it, they got to sleep in the boat overnight. I mean, this is a pretty, pretty crazy. What? You didn't hear that? No. <laughs> I need videos. That, that wasn't in the promotional I need a video evidence. The promotional piece. <laughs> I want to see someone wrestle anaconda. It better be Sean. <laughs> you might, you might be seeing it. No, but how exciting! You know, I was, I was. You and I have both been involved in youth ministry. In fact, that's how you know I, I met you before i encourage you to come follow me here to crown point and that's been a, that was a big win give me yeah. five on that one <laughs> that uh, wow. but anyway yeah. that's we're, we both have a, a love for young people and a love for discipleship which is why we're doing this podcast but i was just thinking and looking at all the videos and the pictures and the cool ministry that was happening in honduras uh, it really reminds me of the nature of discipleship, that it's not just about hearing truth only. It's really about practicing it. And when you're out of uh, your normal context, in faith, in another environment, and you're actually doing ministry, which is the beauty of these trips, that is probably the most radically transformational you know, uh, uh, culture that you could put yourself in. Mm. And as a senior pastor, I just, you know, we're hearing the stories kind of uh, matriculating back. Uh, I just talked to my sister. She had a, just a powerful encounter with the Lord during one of the worship times there. I was talking with a brother last night who said, you know, his daughter went on a trip with, with mom and both of them were just powerfully uh, touched by God. And so I'm excited, even as it relates to this coming week at church, just hearing, you know, the the eyewitness accounts of what God's doing Um not only be a blessing in those countries, but man, the, the ripple effect, the, re, the rebound that comes back when these folks come home. Yeah, this Sunday is going to be like a family Sunday. We got a lot going on, right? Yes, we got we got a lot of baptisms, and our Living Stones <laughs> uh, family has been bless you. Yeah, our Living Stones family has been uh, being fruitful and multiplying and t- taking dominion over planet Earth. I think yeah. we've got like twenty babies to dedicate, yeah, including mine. Yeah, yeah, come on, that's right. Yeah, I didn't see all the names, so yeah. uh, but that's exciting. So yeah, we're going to baptize some folks. We're going to dedicate some children to the Lord. Uh, we're going to be receiving communion together as a church family. And, uh, and just having a great time as we continue the series on hosting the Holy Spirit. So we hope that you'll tune in. In fact, I encourage you to go to our 
our website, lstones.org, and go to our media page, and there's all kinds of great content there that I think will be a blessing to you. So, hey, what do you say we pick up where we left off? Why don't you bring everybody up to speed on uh, on, on the book uh, that we're in right now? Strange New World. Strange, Strange New, New World. World is talking about just... If you're, if you, you know, existed 10 years ago and you fall into a deep coma and you wake <laughs> up in 2022 and you would be like, what kind of world do we live in? Yeah. Up is down, down is up, what is going on with our society? And the book is really an intellectual philosophical discussion into the inner workings of why we are the way we are today. Right. The, the ideological, philosophical uh, thought process that's led us. And I think this is important for people to understand, you know. Sometimes we look at the challenges in front of us and oh my gosh, look at how terrible the world is. And we realize that this has been a process that's been taking place for decades. And and sometimes I think it's encouraging. Instead of, whenever we get in a situation where things get heated up, much of the church starts talking about the Antichrist and the rapture and end times. When really what we should be having is a long-term perspective and saying, what can we do to roll up our sleeves and how do we begin to attack these bad ideas, these lies that have led to the current mess that we're in? Because if the church doesn't come with the truth and we don't have a plan of action for recovery, right. then we might as well just sit in our closets and wait for the Antichrist to show up. Uh, it's kind of a defeatist loser mentality, but yeah. but uh, and that's not what we're about. But we've got to, and you can't change culture unless you understand how you got here. Yeah, I think the way I think about it is like if you want to attack cancer, you don't put a band-aid on the wound. You don't just deal with the external symptoms you have to go at the heart of the cancer the, the the corrupted messed up cells right and so if you want to deal with problems in the world uh, the philosophers which a lot of times we're like well a philosopher good for nothing to sit around and talk about ideas well sometimes that's true but other times <laughs> what they do is they look the pinpoint at the real issue yeah. not just the symptom they look at the philosophical ideas. they recognize that the root of the problem is in deceptions is in bad idea ideas of consequences in yeah. these bad ideas so they trace backwards they're like detectives they look at the trend they look at history they look at what's happened they look at people's writings and they go backwards and see what is the root cause what so people People start acting, behaving this way, and they behave for so long, and that's so prevalent in the culture, they don't even think about it. Right. But the philosopher says, but that hasn't always been the case. Why is that? And they look at context and right. look at ideas to track What's backwards. changed? And, and we're talking about the a radical uh, rupture in understanding of the self. I mean, the self we're talking about today, the notion of self, the concept of self mm -hmm. is radically different than even say 50 years ago i mean the ideas have been building much ago. longer than yeah. that but we're at a point now where where as you brought up in fact the the uh, if you can grab the the piece from leah thomas because that was that was a a, a great win we had uh, from uh, the ncaa but but we talked about the sw the transgender swimmer uh, who really embodies this radical transformation in the self um he said uh, i don't need anybody's permission to be myself to do the sport i love we transition to be happy and authentic to our true selves. This this perfectly embodies the ideas and the notion of self that we're talking about today. So, so the author of uh, Strange New World, he's saying um, the 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 heart of the matter is our understanding of the self. Right. That's one of his his argument is the reason why we have these radical changes 
rather crazy ideas throughout the world today it really starts with our understanding of the self right which is like if you don't understand that and you're like well what does that have to do with Leah Tom what, what does the idea of self have to do with this crazy radicalization of our right. culture but he connects the dots from our, our from our changing of of the understanding of self to all these different policies and and, and social media and outlooks and right. so 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 back to Leah there, yeah. there's been some good pushback I think there's 35 states now including Indiana who have said you know what as a biological male, you can only compete with biological males. Uh, we're not going to allow a male to comp uh, to compete in a female sport, a uh, biological male. And so, so this just, again, it goes against common sense. It goes against natural law. It goes against God's law. And, and people are starting to push back on this idea instead of just rolling over. And we're seeing some victories. But let's talk a little bit about this concept of expressive individualism. When we talk about understanding the self today, just quickly rehearse for us, because we've, we've touched on this in previous episodes, but what's embodied in this idea of expressive individualism? Well, let's talk about traditionally what was self, or even biblically, what the self is. Yeah. The self is in restraint or constraint to the greater world, to community, to God, to the laws of nature. Um, part of us finding ourselves is in, in context to... Yeah to all these different, right. uh, what people consider constraints, but really they're just the laws of, of God, of nature. You know, uh, I find myself in the in the context of my relationship with my wife, right. with my kids, with you, with yeah. my God, with my parents, with my friends. You know, that's where I can truly be the best version of myself. And as a created being, you also recognize that you can't really know who you are apart from your creator. Well, limitation, we embrace our limitation. We say boundaries is a good thing. You know, an example I tell my kids all the time, like, you don't want to play any sports without boundaries. Like, football would no longer be fun. There's no rules and no boundaries. Basketball <laughs> would no longer be fun without rules and boundaries. Yeah. Rules, good rules, not all rules, but good rules, godly rules are for our benefit. So right. life is fun, right? How, how you play the game correctly. Yeah, imagine like there's no boundaries in football. You, yeah. you know, you just start shooting people, and you—I mean, this, this, it's crazy. But expressive individualism is giving the authority who you who you are yourself with no restraint, no context, no creator. It's, it, it finds its authority in itself. Okay, so no rules, no boundaries. And, and you're talking about the authority of inner feelings. What you feel about something is reality yes. for you. Uh, and then we have the whole next step that, you know, if you feel this way and you're sincere about it, then the courageous thing to do is to verbal, verbalize how you feel. And that's courageous. That's authentic. And we celebrate authenticity today. Yep. Um, and so, again, there's been a shift of authority from something external and outside to something internal and very, very private and subjective, namely our feelings. Right. And we've talked about that. How does that really work? Because there's a lot of days you wake up and you're like, I'm quitting. I'm done. I've had enough. I'm not going to go. And then you realize, okay, wait a minute. You get a good night's sleep and you go, thank God I didn't act on my. Yeah, I can't quit because I got a family to provide for, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You be like, I'm authentic to my feelings today. I'm going to quit my job. And then your, your wife was like, uh, yeah. we have no. You're authentically broke. Yeah. You're authentically homeless. Right. You know, so so relying on feelings, which are very volatile, which are, which are, are uh, you know, here today, gone tomorrow, sometimes. Sometimes right. even change in a matter of moments 
is not probably the greatest locus of authority in our life. And we talked about the balance. You know, obviously, if you swing the pendulum all the way to the opposite end, which is all about the community, all about communism, and and right. all about the state, and there is no regard for individualism. That's also toxic, and that's not that's not good. That's not godly. And either. Christianity honors both. That's the beauty of the Christian worldview. You're an individual, but we also exist in community, and yeah. Christianity uh, keeps both of those. It's a beautiful, beautiful marriage attention. of both. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's what we're the body of Christ, right? There's a community aspect, but we also have our individual duties, individual parts with Christ as a head. We unify around the, the around Christ. So, so connect this dot for our, our listeners again. So, we, so we value uniqueness because yeah. God created. There's, you're the only you that will ever mm-hmm. be, and, and I'm the only me. Uh, but how does this all get mixed into the the, the LGBTQ movement? We got all this radicalized sexual behavior now that people are saying this must be validated this must be you know uh, this is just me how how does the sexual revolution tie into expressive individualism what's the connection between those two well the way i see it expressive individualism is again finding authority in how you feel how you express yourself uh so even in fact not only do they uh promote self-individualism when there's uh, what they call oppression, where there's pushback from the community or from external forces, you almost thrive in the middle of that. It makes you more courageous. Right. The more the pushback, the, the more courageous you are, right? right. And the sexual revolution, and, and, and sex, sexual desires and passions is one of the strongest feelings and drives of human nature, you know? And God created us that way for good yeah. reason. But again, when you're taking that off the balance, off the context of creation, creator, off the context of boundaries and marriage and commit, commitment and fidelity and, and care about each other and care about your neighbor so you don't have an affair with, with his wife, etc. Right. You take yeah, right. all those restraints off, right? Yep. All of a sudden, and, and the only restraint you have is consent, which again, that again, eventually that probably will fall too because you're taking every constraint because that will get redefined, whatever consent is. You take all those restraints off, and it becomes this crazy marriage between sexual expression, which is a powerful emotion, right. and expressive individualism. Well, and if, you, if part of your feeling is identified in sexual attraction, then that's really who you are. You're, you're a this or that. We have all these terms now, all these identities uh, to define who we are basically sexually. But we, it's interesting that the self of 100 or 200 years ago would have been far more, uh, I guess, broad, well-developed than just the area of sexuality. Whereas today, sex is who we are. I mean, all you hear about are people's sexual desires, sexual identities, and we have labels for all of them. And honestly, as you said, the more the more bizarre the behavior, the more courageous the individual, because pushing the envelope, obliterating all boundaries yeah. is is the courageous, awesome thing to do. And we celebrate people who, who even to their own destruction or the destruction of other people, celebrate their their bizarreness as it relates to sexual identity. Yeah, it's like a rebel without a cause. Yeah. You know, you rebel for the sake of rebellion. You, you push back for the sake of someone to push back on. And that's a very communistic, uh, socialistic, uh, Marxist ideology of the repressed coming rebelling against you know right. the, the, the oppressors the, the, oppressor. the system whatever but but i think you, you made a good point about the whole idea of now your sexual behavior becomes your sexual identity because of this uh expressive individualism so how you feel sexually that's is, a big connection yeah so behavior becomes identity which is attached to dignity and, and and so if I reject your behavior and I say, hey, what how you're expressing yourself sexually is immoral or it's wrong, mm-hmm. 
then all of a sudden I'm attacking you. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not speaking to your behavior. I'm attacking you as a person. You're, I'm, you're, I'm taking your, your 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 dignity as a person, right? Because that is your identity. So you have. So this is so interesting because you know, you know, if a guy comes to me and says, "Hey, you know, Pastor Andrew, I'm really struggling with watching pornography." You know, the first thing I say is, "Okay, I'm glad you you share it. Let's pray. That's fine. some practical ways to get rid of that." I would say to this man, "That's not who you are." You are you are uh, renewed in Christ. You're sealed with. I mean, I'm start speaking identity to him, right? Right. <laughs> it's to say that's not your identity. That's your behavior, and that's your flesh behavior. And we're gonna right. try to we're gonna grow from that, right. right? But this turns that upside down. Imagine him coming to me. I'm like a part of pornography, and that's who I am. And you go, oh, that's awesome. I'm like, I don't know the response to that. Like, that's what? You, what? That's who you are. You're so courageous. You're so courageous because you indulge in watching, you know, whatever. And yeah. but he turns that whole thing upside down yep. and now that's your identity so you came and speak to it as a behavior you can uh work on it because now i'm saying There's no need to work on it. embrace it celebrate it it's who you are because that's how you feel yeah. that's what makes you happy because if i say hey i don't like that behavior you're hearing it and say you don't like me and you disavow me and you disapprove of me and my 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 existence it's like no that's not our heart at all right you know so so, so it gives us an idea about what we're up against and, and let's talk about the third point today yeah. and this, this is a little bit more of a, <laughs> uh, uh, of a complex uh, idea, but we'll, we'll, we'll try it. Yeah. And it's the idea of what's called the social imaginary. Now, this term social imaginary came from a, a philosopher and author named uh, Charles Taylor. And basically what he means by this is it describes how people think about the world, how they imagine it to be, and how they act intuitively. And that word intuitively is important. Because again, it is attached to feelings, and and really, you know, when I look at this desire, this this uh, concept of social imaginary, it's really very much a a definition of a worldview. A worldview is how you think about the world, how you imagine it to be, and how you intuitively kind of navigate your way around. So, so let's give an example. Um, uh, another another phrase he uses is intuitive social taste. So let's just say we're we're uh, we're in well, of course we're in Pride Month right now. Every every store that I go to, you find a, ra a rainbow, you find a sign, and and most people today have kind of taken the approach of live and let live. In other words, I might not agree with it. I might not be that way uh, personally, um, but I'm not going to buck the system. And it's intuitively wrong to suggest that that behavior is immoral. Now, I haven't really thought it through objectively. I don't really know how to make that argument, but I know that because of the culture that I'm surrounded in and because of the messaging that I'm getting, that kind of intuitively I know that it's not socially acceptable for me to speak out against certain behaviors today because I could lose my job. Uh, I'll get strong pushback. I'll get called in the principal's office when I'm a student. I mean, the list goes on and on. So that's what, what he calls this whole idea of social imaginary. It, it's not um, uh, arguments that are based on first principles. In other words, we're not going to go back and go, okay, wait a minute. Why do I believe that? 
it might just be I feel that way because I listen to the song on the radio. It's the number one song now, and that's the messaging of that song. It's the shirts that my friends are wearing at school that have a certain message on it. It's corporate America that's all singing the same song. It's public education or the universities that are pushing a certain thing. And, and, and even though I'm not really thinking about the ideas, I'm just being subtly influenced. Well, from a biblical perspective, it'd be like the spirit of the world. Mm -hmm. The world shaping the way we think about things without even thinking about how it's all happening. But it's just happening. It's like the frog in the kettle, right? The temperature's rising, and before we know it, how did we get here? Um, but it, but it's like a it's like a knee jerk reaction. If you went out on the streets today and you, you know, I think back, for instance, at, at gay marriage. When you, when you were out on the streets asking people about, hey, are you for gay marriage? Most people would say something like this. Well, hey, who am I to determine whether two men who love each other should be married or not? Hey, if they love each other, then why not? You know, and there was no there was no reasoned, um, objective, uh, log logical idea principled approach it was just you know hey whatever and that's that's part of the culture that we're living in today most people would not be able to tell you why they believe what they believe they just believe it because that's the atmosphere in which they find themselves mm -hmm. and, and so we're fighting that and 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 if, if everything is feeling based then it logically there's a bias against any kind of logical rational principled approach because that's not important anymore what's important is how do you feel? Hmm. The, the, the locus of authority has shifted right. from an objective, outside, reason-based, logic approach to a purely how, how you feel about it, subjective, internal, which is not subjective, uh, uh, subjected to any kind of outside criticism even, because that's me opposing my ideas or my viewpoints or some outward source of authority, which, which violates the rules. The only problem is no one ever agreed on the rules. No one talked about the rules. It's just the atmosphere. It's the culture in which we, we find ourselves. Uh, and so it's, it's also defined as the way ordinary people imagine their surroundings. Um, it's a little bit like the, the improv, no clothes on. Right. Yeah, yeah. And after a while, everyone just like goes with it. They're just nice like, Nice outfit, yeah. and you're standing yeah, there naked. Like, like everyone, but I mean, after a while, no one, thinks that way anymore if no one says anything no one points it out well like, we imagine like group think yeah we, it, group think and it's about social imagining everyone imagine the emperor has no clothes on so you know for has a clothes on i mean there's been some famous studies uh, of uh say you're on a subway and some guy grabs a woman throws her on the ground jumps on top of her and either starts beating her up or trying to to molest her what you do in that situation says a lot about the social imaginary. In other words, if the culture re reaffirms manhood and righteousness and truth and protecting the weak and the vulnerable, then you're jumping on that guy with a bunch of other men yeah. and you're going to forcibly take him off and hold him and call the police until this man could be arrested. In today's culture, you find that, okay, we're really not sure what our culture is telling us to do because like if that's making that guy happy, maybe I should just leave him alone. And yeah. was it my business? And right. who am I to impose my view? And my truth might not be your truth. And I mean, we get into all these crazy cultural narratives that impact how we respond to a situation that should be almost instinctual. In other words, this is what's the right thing to do in this situation. And everything becomes morally foggy. Yeah, it's like a, it's a, it's like a big extension of peer pressure, like high school yeah, peer pressure. It's like, what, 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 what do you think what I'm doing? I, I hear this 
this this experiment, um, this study they did, I, I wish I could quote it, but I read it from some book, which they're just seeing the power of peer pressure. Yeah. So they will have do a test in the room and they'll be like, which line is longer and shorter? Right. And everyone was an actor except for you. And it's obviously like the top line <laughs> yeah. is short, longer, the not short line is shorter, not even close, obvious, but everyone says the bottom one's longer. Yeah, and if you're you just 10, like, if 10 people before you say the bottom yeah. one, then your pressure is. You're just like, uh, and they, they found, I, I, again, yeah. I don't remember the specifics, so many people gave in and be like, no. It was like, well, I mean, they went against their own eyes. It's, it's the power of conformity, right? Conformity, suggestions, there must be something wrong with my perspective. And so this brings a great point because Romans 12, 2 talks about, I think, the social imaginary. It puts it in theological language instead of sociological or philosophical language. But it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. By changing the way that you think, notice the emphasis is on thinking, not on feeling, mm. but thinking. Uh, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So a couple of things here. First of all, it appeals to an, an objective standard of truth, not a subjective standard of truth. Uh, when it talks about being conformed, then I think the natural thing, just what you talked about is the, the peer pressure. The natural thing is to cave in to whatever the group think is, whatever the atmosphere is, whatever the socially acceptable mores are, mm. that's the natural way we operate in the world because we don't want to go against the grain. Yeah. And so Paul here is saying, hey, don't be conformed. Don't be shaped into thinking the way everybody else thinks. Let your mind be transformed by renewing it through the Word of God and through bringing our thoughts and our emotions in line with what God says is, is the, the truth. And I love this. God's will is good and pleasing and perfect. That's, that is speaking of an objective outside standard for what I think and what I feel. And to the degree that I align my, my thoughts and my feelings and my emotions with the Word of God and with truth, then I experience what is good and pleasing and perfect. But that goes completely against uh, this new view of self. So I, I, what I love about Romans 12, 1 and 2 is it, it gives you a, a blueprint to how do you hear the voice of God? How do you discern God's plan for your life? Is that important for you to be able to hear God's plan yep. and carry out his plan for your life, your calling, uh, hear his voice clearly and live out good, pleasing and perfect will of God for your life? Yep. I mean, that should be probably in the top priority for every believer in Jesus Christ, right? Yep. In general, let's just say it that way, right? How do you do that? He said, you have to transform. You have to renew your mind. Remember the word repent means metaneo, which is change your mind. You have to renew your mind. Now, so many Christians have been so stuck in this world and the way how the world thinks conform to the patterns of this world that they and then then when you're so conformed to how the world thinks, so clogged by deception. Yeah. There's not easy. Well, I feel the Lord told me to say this. It's like that can't even take you, you can't even hear the voice of God. Whatever voice you're hearing is not the voice of God because you have not been transformed in your mind. That's good. There is a disruptor, um, disruptive nature yeah. that this requires in, in us. I says, whatever the world's going, you're along with the world. You, you should double check yourself and say, yeah. if I'm agreeing with what every mainstream culture is saying, I need to double check myself and say, is that really correct? Now, I'm not saying that's always true, yeah. but we need to check well, ourselves. And it's interesting because we see the same phenomenon with the whole woke church now. 
when when the culture's going one way, it's it's one thing for for us as individuals to go against the grain and say, no, I'm not going to. As we talked last week, if you're the the Tampa Bay Rays players who aren't going to wear the yep. Pride Month, or if you're not going to get the vaccine because it goes against your your convictions, uh, or the, the you know host of other things where where you are countercultural, that's one thing for the individual. But institutions deal with this all the time. I mean, corporate America has jumped into the stream of the sexual revolution yep. and radical expressive individualism, um, and now the church has been pressured to go along uh, with the same thing. And so we see churches celebrating all kinds of, of social justice crazy cultures. Uh, so instead of standing and being countercultural, we're, we're having group institutional peer pressure uh, that's following along as well. So it's not just an individual thing, it really is a collective thing that we have to fight. Um, one of the points that, that um, uh, Carl Truman, the author of that book, Strange New World, uh, brings out is he says there are two different ways of viewing the world, and I think this is really important. The former is really coming from our Judeo-Christian worldview. He says the world has a given order and a given meaning. Humans must discover this order and meaning and conform themselves to it. So in other words, if you want to be a healthy self, your job is to understand the order uh, of the world, to understand the given meaning that's in the world, and then align yourself with truth. In other words, there is truth. I go back to the verse we read in Romans uh, 12 too. Uh, good, pleasing, perfect. Think about those words. Good means there's an objective mm. standard of what goodness is as opposed to what is evil. Perfect means that there's, there, there is a, a standard in and of itself that, that, that you must attain. There's a perfect way to live. There is a right way versus a wrong way. And pleasing, pleasing who? Mm. You know, modern, modern world says there is no one to please except you. Mm. And yet, you know, our biblical worldview says, no, we don't exist primarily for self-pleasure. We exist to please the Lord. And when we please the Lord, we experience incredible maximum joy and pleasure. Um, and so a biblical worldview it gives you that, that sense of contact lenses and by which you view the world from God's perspective. And then our job is to navigate this God-created world by understanding his, his way of thinking, his laws, his precepts, his commandments. And, and therefore, that's where the scripture comes in. The Bible becomes the lens by which we interpret who we are and how we're to live in the world. And I've got a, fav a famous quote here from uh, one of my uh, fam favorite quotes from Cornelius Plutinga. I love this. He says, to be wise is to know reality and then accommodate yourself to it. Folly is a stubborn swimming against the stream of the universe, spitting into the wind, coloring outside the lines. I mean, I can't think of a more perfect illustration of our culture today. We pride ourselves in coloring outside of the lines. We pride ourselves in spitting in the wind as if there's going to be no consequences for our behavior. And, and what Platinga is saying is our job is to figure out which way the wind's blowing and conform ourselves to the wind. Our job is to make sure we understand how God created us and how God created sexuality and how to understand what myself even is and how to live a life that's good, pleasing, and perfect. 
You'll never understand those things if you reject God and you reject order and you reject boundaries and you, you reject uh, sexual norms and behaviors that God has established to be true. If you throw all those things to the wind and you pride yourself in coloring outside of the lines, you're going to experience the worst life possible. You're going to experience brokenness and pain. Uh, you're going to experience confusion about who you are because you've rejected this objective order and meaning. And so talk a little bit about the second one here, uh, which is really the, the, the worldview that we're embracing today. It's the modern view of, of finding meaning. Yeah, it's, there's no constraint. You create your meaning. It's postmodernism. It's you, since there's no objective meaning, there's no creator. Right. Um, we're just uh, we're elements. We're we're, we're we're the product random chance, random particles coming together. Yeah. Um, which is a dark place to think through. I mean, that's never been my worldview. But if I imagine that worldview, it's like that's pretty dark. And because of this darkness, and I am a sentient being, and I am made in the image and likeness of God, though I might not acknowledge it, I have to create meaning in myself. Yeah. So, so the world is, there's no objective standard, it's just raw material. And then I get to basically be whoever I want to be. And a lot of our, you know, even a lot of the Disney songs are all about, you know, be all that you can be and become, become whoever it is, you, you know, you want to become. And there, there's no sense of, wait a minute, you know, there are some legitimate objectives uh, you know, limitations to who I can be or become. But we see this in, the, in the, the sexual identity thing because literally whatever you feel uh, you are, uh, and, and, and it's a limitless number of options. I mean, it's, it, it, there's, a, there's as many options as there are people, if not more. It's uh, basically you are your own God. I mean, that's, that's it, the it's, most frank way to say it is you are your own God. We're all little gods. And you make your own meaning. Now, no one's thinking the process is with all gods, what happened if we interfere in each other's lives? Right. What happened if your transgender son is now competing against my daughter? But we're all gods, so why is my daughter? You know, it's just right. the, now when the rights are interfering with each other, they're com conflicting. We don't know how to answer those questions because right. we're all meaning and, gods. And this is how we answer the question. Eventually, in a world like this without boundaries, um, the government steps in. And the government begins to be the rule maker, and and you're going to obey what the government says for the sake of the common good. Right. So, so while we re we reject any meta narratives, we reject any larger story, any larger meaning. It's yeah. it's funny because we really don't. We just come up with an alternative, larger story, larger meaning, and that gets to be written by who's ever in power. Exactly. If there's no rule, there's no god, there's no restraint. Then guess what? The government has no restraint too. Now, don't get me wrong. Government can abuse in the name of religion and whatnot too, but this is another type of abuse, which is just like, there's no transcendent, there's no God, there's no higher authority and morality, so government is king, and they can decide whatever they want with no consequences. And, and we, and we saw this during the, the COVID situation, you know, this mass conformity, uh, places like Australia, of course, uh, totalitarian Canada. regimes. Yeah, Canada, yeah. what they just did. Un unbelievable that the people would be submitting to this, but but, but so, so this is interesting. This source of greater tyranny is not a Christ-centered culture uh, or a religious culture. It's actually just the opposite. It's a secularized culture uh, that has that does not acknowledge any external form of meaning or norms or rules or understanding or truth. And, and everybody makes up their own truth and uh, and we all lose as a result of that because government becomes, becomes king. Uh, you know, we talk about the healthy individual is first and foremost committed to self and inwardly directed according to this view. So if I'm living for myself and you're living for yourself, at some point we're going to collide. And imagine that collision happening 
over six billion times on planet Earth. Yeah. You can understand why America is very divided right now and why nations of the world are very divided and why people are at each other's throats. When, when, I, when self is king, uh, it's a scary place to be in. Uh, yes, you see it with my own kids. I have four kids. Well, <laughs> three that can talk. And man, when they start acting selfish, it's chaos. Well, three of them, just three of them. Right. Can you imagine everyone says, you know what, self is king. So you have uh, chaos with th with three, and now four. I had chaos with eight. Yeah. And, and you know, and two. So there's ten of us. If we're all selfish in the Every, Johnson yeah. household, we have absolute anarchy. And that's just one family. Can you imagine a world, a nation of everyone says the ultimate authority is myself. That's a tough place to be. It's a very tough place. Sounds to like H E W W. Yes, absolutely. And I I, I want to end today. Uh, uh, with Romans chapter one, because how I many you know that God God's not behind the times? He already diagnosed the current situation that we're dealing with, uh, and it goes back to He said, and this is Romans chapter one verse eighteen: um, wicked people who suppress truth by their wickedness. So we need to understand that. It, it, Inside a person, when they're following their natural desires, there is the voice of conscience and there is God's natural law. And God holds people accountable because uh, if they are truly true to themselves, there's a suppression of truth that's taking place. Uh, and for instance, in the person who says, no, 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 uh, I, I'm really a male trapped in this female's body or vice versa. There is a voice of truth in that person's heart uh, that they are suppressing. Mm -hmm. uh, and God will hold them accountable for that because it's it's the wickedness of their heart that's causing them to live a lie and to believe a lie, and God will hold them accountable. Uh, down in verse 22, they claimed to be wise, but instead they became utter fools. We could easily replace the word wise with claiming to be authentic, right? Claiming to be true to yourself. They actually became fools. Down in verse 24, it says, God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things that their hearts desired. Again, whatever shameful things that their inner feelings demanded. Um, so God says those those desires uh, can be shameful desires that are coming out of our heart. Every desire in our heart is not good, obviously. Uh, but we embrace authenticity today, and in doing so, we become foolish. Uh, instead of worshiping God, they worship idols made to look like mere people, birds, animals, reptiles, etc. We could put they worship themselves. And we've got people today dressing up like birds and animals and reptiles and dogs and cats and actually thinking that that's really who they are. I mean, it's a foolishness to the max. Uh, notice again, verse 24, God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things that their hearts desired. That heart's desired piece is exactly what we're talking about. It's the, it's the inner feelings, it's the inner uh, desires that want to find authentic expression when God calls them shameful and things that we should not be indulging in. Uh, he says they traded the truth, which goes back to that objective standard we talked about. They traded the objective standard about God and about the God-created universe for a lie. And I, I'm amazed in this passage, uh, Pastor Andrew, how many times the, the word shameful is used. Verse 24, shameful things. Verse 26, shameful desires. Verse 27, shameful things. And just to get specific here, this is the word of the Lord. And I think we need to preach it and talk about it in a culture today that is completely jettisoned truth. It says, and the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, they burned with lust for each other. They did shameful things with other men. The verse before that talks about women. 
who have turned away from the natural way to have sex and instead indulge in sex with each other. So we have women having sex with women, men having sex with men. This is exactly what we're talking about today. And the LGBT movement says all of this behavior is beautiful and authentic and should be expressed. And the Bible calls it shameful. So this is the conflict of worldviews. Uh, and this is where we find ourselves uh, in the social imaginary of today where anything goes, where love is love, where the, uh, uh, the coexist bumper sticker is the new orthodoxy, and where anybody like us that says, no, that is shameful behavior, thus saith the Lord, uh, that is ridiculed as bigotry and hatred. I think one takeaway is, you know, if you start having this type of argument about, hey, this is wrong, this is against God's laws, against nature, with somebody whose ideology is that truth is found in their inner feelings, right. you're just you're you're going to go nowhere right. because, again, at the root of their identity, at the root of their philosophical understanding is truth comes from the self. Whether they heard it from a song or they've been it's with the higher education, whatever it is. But for our, <laughs> for those watching, I think the point we're trying to make is un until you can. Act actually begin to find the foundational block from which this whole thing, this whole edifice grows. You're, you're, you're on floor 65 and you're going, how do we get in this crazy world? You got to go down to the foundation and you got to be able to say, wait a minute. The reason we're arguing is because I believe my feelings are authority. You believe God is the authority. Right. Well, from your standpoint, that's what I would go with. It's like before we get there, it's like, I'm going to ask you, what is the authority for what is true and right? right? What do you consider the authentic self? Who is authority for that? What was my feelings? Okay. How I feel. Okay. Let's process that a little bit. And right. there's a, a, so many examples we can talk about. Because unless we get to that common script of, of our, our we're, we argue up here, we're, we're really the foundational difference when we got to settle first. And this is why we're yeah. going to disagree, because yeah. I start here. I start, start that. Here. I believe in gravity. You're saying, hey, my feeling says I can jump off and be a bird. I can fly. I'm going to jump off a 10-story tower and, yeah. and be okay. It's like... I mean, that's, a, Not gonna that's, a, that's well. a crazy example, but you guys know what I mean. Well, but that's a perfect example. We believe in exterior uh, boundaries in matter. Yeah. Otherwise, we wouldn't have physics. We wouldn't have mathematics. Yep. We wouldn't have science. So, so we recognize law. But it's interesting when it comes to sexual behavior or understanding of who we are. Human, human, human law, nature. social law. Now, I would even say scientific law has been pushed right now. So even that is no longer truly objective to, to some right, of these there's guys. there's an ideology. Behind ideology behind that. But, but, but yeah, I think that's a good way to help people understand. It's like, okay, I believe in physical laws. I believe there are moral and spiritual laws. That's where the true authority comes from. But your true authority comes from your feelings. So, so before we talk about all that stuff, let's talk about that foundational principle and, and how can you truly, I want you to defend, or maybe not that's the right word, but explain to me why is your feeling your authority? How does that work out for you? You know? Exactly. But, yeah. that, but that is a fundamental ideological point we're trying to yeah. make to help us in this strange new world in which we yeah. find ourselves to be able to navigate, be able to, you know, it's like we're trying to nail jello to the wall. You yeah. know, you, you say, what is, what? Yeah. And then, and then you try to, you, you try to get your hands around your brain around it. And it's like, again, it's like nailing jello. This helps us understand foundational ideas. Cause right. if you don't address the lie, you can never get to the truth. And, um, and so again, we hope this is helpful just as we're this, these first few podcasts looking at the, the radical 
redefinition <coughs> of self from yeah. uh, from living in culture and being and uh, honoring God and having outside objective truth to uh, to navigate through the world versus me like you said actually this is not new it's all the way back Genesis Genesis uh, three the fall me thinking I'm God I will be like God I will determine what's right and wrong that the locus of wisdom truth knowledge understanding is inside me yeah. and and that that does not square at all with our biblical worldview and it certainly does not lead to happiness for the individual or for society and we're seeing we're seeing that played out right now yeah. so um, anyway good stuff I'm grateful that the word of God is true the Bible says let God be true and every man a liar I say amen I want to agree with the Lord I want to humbly come and say, Lord, teach us your ways. Lord, help me understand who I am. I love that one of my favorite passages in the Psalms is where the psalmist says, Lord, I'm a stranger here on this earth. Please, he's begging God, please don't take your commandments from me because your commandments show me who I am, who you are, how we live together, and how we experience the blessed life possible. So, hey, to this end, have a have the blessed life, best life possible this week. Live for the glory of God and uh, and keep processing these truths in your heart so that you're able to be part of the solution uh, to seeing our culture redeemed and restored. So, until next Thursday, have an amazing week.